0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Sleeper and the Bust. This is episode number 186. I am your host, Nicholas Minix. Joining me, as usual... Is Eno Seris. Eno, how are you doing this fine January afternoon?
1: I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I'm getting over my cold, and uh, finally getting near the end of the Fangraphs player caps, which uh, makes me much happier.
0: Excellent, excellent. That's good news. Uh, Sure, plenty of people will be excited to read those. Uh, You should purchase them. Just uh, not a biased opinion at all.
1: Here's a here's a little teaser. Um, just looking at the different articles that are coming in, the long articles, which are, you know, another another part of that. Um, uh, I think Jeff Zimmerman is going to uh, talk about what a new addition can do for an entire team. Um, Dan Schwartz did uh, something about how closely clustered uh, pitcher release points are and um, if that is correlated to command uh, situations. And... Um, you know Brad Johnson's going to do a daily fantasy strategy piece, um, and one of my favorites is actually Dan Farnsworth, who, who uh, correctly predicted the uh, JD Martinez breakout. Um, he's got a thing on Kang, and uh, he's going to add another player to it. I'm not sure what, but he's got a, a real nice breakdown of Kang, and that's basically uh, one of the reasons I like Kang. Um, so,
0: oh, that sounds <clears throat> that sounds extremely interesting. I think that yeah that that is a player that. Uh... I don't want to say he'll he'll f- fall kind of below the radar. I mean, he's not a he's not a hot you know commodity. He's not the hot type of import that you might think of when when a Cuban player has come over. I mean, a Jose Abreu or anything like that. But he he could be an interesting difference maker.
1: Yeah, I mean, people will look at his salary and say he's not he's not a difference maker, right? Um, but I think that's just a was just about the fact that he's hard to project because there's not a lot of players who played both here in the Korean League. Um, so I think that, you know, when you, when you lack projections like that, you're, you're related, you're, you're sort of relying on your scouts and, um, to give a ton of money to someone where you're just relying on scouts that puts them more in sort of like, you know, like a Dominican free agent bin, yeah. um, rather than like, uh, a posted Japanese pitcher or even a player who's played in the Cuban, um, pro leagues. Um, so if you're, if you're looking at signing bonuses for, you know, a Dominican player, you know, a $5 million signing bonus would be a really big deal, you know, um, plus a $15 million salary. So, you know, he's an unknown and there's risk attached to it, but if you, if you think of him, uh, you know, as an unknown, then he, he actually is sort of a, a significant signing. And I know the age differences is, is different, you know, Dominican guys are 17, 18 and, Kang is, you know, mid-20s or whatever, but I still think uh, it's really exciting, and, um, have, you know, Dan was a smart guy, he, he works as a hitting instructor, and um, the things he saw in J.D. Martinez's change in his swing, he liked, and that was just really, uh, he was really out in front on that one, and then, um, you know, he's, uh, he's he's seen some things he likes in Kang's swing, so.
0: Well, that sounds, uh, that sounds, incru- and I think, I mean, like, he's not, he's the type of player in spring training, like, I mean, just like any other player, you could probably take the results with a grain of salt. If he has really good results, it might drive up his va- value, but uh, that could be kind of false. That could be kind of pyrite, but. I
1: would like to see where they plan.
0: Yeah, yeah, I know. think that's the most interesting thing.
1: Yeah, because anytime people ask me for a projection, and I say, I'm going to give you a 600 play appearance projection, which is you know, something like 260, 20 homers, somewhere around there. But I have no idea if he can hit that because I'm not sure he's going to shortstop. So if he's not a shortstop, then, you know, and and his general manager did say he's going to be used as a utility player, so that suggests maybe he's not a shortstop. If he's not a shortstop, then he's battling Harrison, which I actually think still gives him a pretty fair amount of upside because Harrison has a lot of collapse uh, possible uh, in there. And I know it's not all uh, Babbitt, but Harrison is a righty. And, um, his work against righties in the past, um, has been bad. And this year the Babbitt mostly came against the crazy Babbitt mostly came against righties. So I, I have a feeling that Harrison's floor is a verse lefties platoon guy.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so that makes him surmountable <laughs> as a, uh, as an obstacle. And then, you know, you know, Walker gets hurt a lot. Um, you know, there's some room around the diamond. So, uh, I do, I do, I do like him, but I'm not going to, you know, I paired him with Owings in our mock draft. I like that. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, uh, for sure. We have, we have uh, bigger news, uh, you know, <laughs> top of the draft news to talk about.
0: Yeah, yeah, Max Scherzer to Washington. I mean, basically, the only thing, I mean, there's not a lot, there's not really much to talk about. He's still a top, you know, top five or top 10 starting pitcher or whatever, but I guess, I, the only thing I started to wonder, uh, something I was curious to see if you, what you think about this, you know, based on the little bonuses you get for moving from the AL to the NL, uh, the fact that he's also going to the NL East, uh, is Scherzer kind of in consideration for perhaps the top? Maybe that's, maybe not, but maybe he's at least, is he at least the second pitcher now in fantasy baseball? Like, well, how I, clearly.
1: I have this old steamer. Uh, I have rankings based on his old steamer. And uh, that was a 3.02 ERA, uh, 1.1 WHIP, and, um, and 14 wins, uh, and 226 strikeouts. That gave him, that made him the second best uh, starter in baseball, worth $27 to Clayton Kershaw's $37. So that's still a big gap. But that's the old uh, Steamer. And the new steamer uh, on Scherzer is a 291 ERA, a 1.08 whip, um, and.
0: 10.4, or basically 10.5 strikeouts per nine.
1: Yeah. I have to think. It says 223 strikeouts, but I have to think that there's a difference in innings pitched here that I'm not seeing. <clears throat>
0: yeah, yeah. The steamer projection is about 30 innings short of what he hit last season and 25 he hit the year before. Right.
1: So. I give him a few more strikeouts. I'd, I'd say he's closed the gap on Kershaw, and now Kershaw's a thirty-seven win guy, a thirty-seven dollar guy. I give Shirts about thirty dollars, thirty-one dollar. Uh, makes Shirts a borderline first rounder. Um, if you, you know, all caveats aside, if you would pick a pitcher that high, you know,
0: right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, because that's not that's not our bag, baby. But uh...
1: right. I mean, you know. The next the next guy is uh, on the old values, Chris Sale, twenty seven bucks, Felix Hernandez, twenty seven bucks, Bumgarner, twenty five. I mean I just don't like taking a first round pitcher. So even though Kershaw has that big gap in, you know, thirty seven dollars, when you're I was saying, well maybe in the second round I'll take Scherzer, but if I'm taking a thirty, thirty one dollar Scherzer in the second round, there's not that same gap on the rest of the pitchers. Um, you know, Strasburg is only pit, is only projected for 180 and If he does better than that, he's going to be a 26 dollar pitcher. So then there's all of a sudden there's six, you know, five to six, 26, 27 dollar pitchers, and I'm taking shirts for 31 ahead of all of them in the second round when I could be taking a hitter. So um, I just I, I I love looking at those number twos and saying who's who's a number two that can be a number one this year. And if you if you look past the top 12 in pitching. Uh, by steamer at least you got Kluber, Harvey, Tanaka Lester, Wainwright Cueto, Ryu, Zimmerman uh, and even Hamels down there and and Jose Fernandez so uh, I actually think those are a little bit iffier than usual Yeah. Uh, so I would like to maybe get one of the granky Darvish Price Kluber before it gets to the injury risks, the major injury risks like Harvey, Tanaka Cueto uh, has been an injury risk. Uh, I think Wainwright is a major injury risk this year. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I would, I maybe might, I, I think that sounds like I might push it up to third or fourth round this year, and try to try to get you know Kluber, or maybe maybe even Lester. Um,
0: yeah, I think you can make that you can make that justification a little more easily because it's kind of you're at the risk of calling it a tier or anything like that. I mean, basically. Yeah that's that's kind of the approach you're taking like it's it's kind of where is the pocket of players i'm still i'm willing to i want to roster um and not absorb any kind of risk because they kind of cascade downward but that's not necessarily a reflection of how confident you are in drafting
1: you know in a shallow redraft league i might be okay with taking a bunch of that that soft pocket of injury risk like if, if in a shallow redraft read, i took um, and I, I think, you know, 12 teamers is the borderline shallow. So if I, if I was yeah. a 12 teamer and I took, uh, like, I would want a quantity there. So I would want Harvey, uh, Tanaka, uh, Hamels, right? Mm-hmm. And that could turn out really nicely. But it would cost me probably picks in that sort of fifth, sixth, seventh round uh, area, uh, which I think I'm more okay with than the first round stuff. Uh, and one of them would go down, but most likely one of them would go down. But um, you know, if, if things work out, all of a sudden I've got sort of a three ace um, rotation. So uh, I, I'm a lot more comfortable with that risk in, like I've said before, in a redraft league than in a uh, in an or in, a, in an only league. In a dynasty league, I'd be really worried because Tanaka, you know, uh, who knows if Harvey has something that makes him more likely to have second Tommy John. Tanaka is headed for Tommy John, uh, Wainwright's got bone chips in his elbow and, you know, didn't look good near the end of the last year. So, you know, and then in only leagues, if, if you pick Tanaka and you get, a, you know, 50 innings out of him, you're picking up who knows what from the waiver wire. So, we we talked about a lot of this before, but, it, it, you know, now that I'm looking at the rankings a little bit more and preparing my own rankings, I think there's a ton of guys in the sort of 3 to $5 range that might become 10 to $15 pitchers. So there's a lot of guys that could maybe become Alex Cobb, right? Yeah. Uh, Alex Cobb is a, is projected to be a, a $13 pitcher. And if I look down at the list, you know, I like Arietta, I love Alex Wood, uh, Michael Walker, uh, you know, you know, there's guys down, Garrett Richards even. These guys are projected to be 5 $6 players. Uh, but,
0: Danny Salazar, yeah. a possibility. Uh, CC Sabathia, we talked about. I mean, that's that's a lower end sleeper, but
1: so I'm gonna uh, Drew Hutchison. I'm going to check out uh, a pitching at some point, and then try to jump back in around that sort of Garrett Richards, uh, you know, uh, sleeper area where I'm paying five dollars for a pitcher, five to seven dollars for a pitcher again. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I don't really like the risk associated with a lot of these. I mean, Marcus Roman is projected to be a $10 pitcher. I, you know, if, if I see him at the right time, I'm going to jump on him because he's one of the few $10 pitchers that I think could be an ace. You yeah. Know, you have a Cy Young season. But I'm not really seeing a lot. I see a lot of old dudes with a lot of injury risk in that $10 range that I don't like, which I was talking about Iwakuma, Shields, Ueno, uh, McCarthy, um, you know, Fires is predicted to be $11 pitcher. I, I think there's a lot of risk there. Lackey, I think there's a decent amount of risk. So, you know, Phil Hughes and Scott Casimir, none of these guys make my, you know, make my, you know, nether regions all the fun No. <laughs> so no. <laughs> I get a lot more excited when I get down to that five, six, seven. I mean, Michael Walker, $6? She yeah. You know, yeah. Luck? Yeah, that's,
0: that's, definitely, that's definitely agreeable. Um, I, <laughs> I think we've talked enough about Eno's nether regions. That's just me. Um, uh, and so this—that's kind of the other end of the spectrum, Giovanni Gallardo to Texas. Uh, this, this, this doesn't do anything for your nether regions, I imagine. It doesn't do anything for steamers nether regions either. Um, here I am talking about uh, more than one person's nether regions all of a sudden. Uh, is there anything? I mean, and I, I'm. Disappointed only in the fact that, like, I was I just started to read Jeff Sullivan's piece on the move, and it, basically, uh, so I haven't finished it, but uh, I'm going to recommend it because Jeff Sullivan is that good of a writer. But uh, basically, from what I understood when I read a little synopsis of it, is that he kind of says, Hey, what if the Rangers kind of go back to more strikeout Jovanni Gallardo, and maybe that's because they're and because they'd like to extract a little more value from him.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I noticed this a while back. Uh, you know, of sinker is not particularly good. It has led to better uh, ground ball rates recently, but it's not particularly uh, good. The sports team is a better pitch. Um, and, uh, you know, I wrote about that a while back. But um, uh, that's, the, that's something Cameron pointed out, that the Rangers uh, have the low, one of the lowest ground ball rates among the pitching population in baseball. Um, and they seem to eschew the sinker for the four seamer. Um, so I think that could be a positive for him. And, you know, I think it could lead to maybe a return to maybe eight strikeouts per nine based on sort of eight percent whiffs. Um, a little bit less than he was, um, in sort of, uh, 2011, uh, when he had, or 2011, 2012, when he had three five, three six ERA if you if he's whip, so I think uh, you could you could make a case for something that looks like what, what the fans are saying: three eighty ERA, one thirty one whip, seven strikeouts per nine, maybe even a couple more strikeouts per nine. That's uh, a little bit more exciting for deep leaguers. But if someone's going off a straight steamer uh, uh, values in their in their auction,
0: he's they're that, gonna they're gonna miss him.
1: Yeah, yeah, is going to look pretty bad. The steamer's got him at 461 um, with a bad homer rate. And, you know, I'm sure that's league switch stuff. I, I have league switch stuff up it, here. Uh, Derek Carty wrote a piece for FanDuel a while back as uh, a nice one. Switching from the AL to the NL uh, gives you a half strikeout per nine or, uh, you know, one and a half percent uh, strikeouts. Uh, and it actually helps your ground ball rate, too. So, um, that's that's why Scherzer, uh, the Scherzer uh, projections went up, and uh, that's working against anything that Gallardo will do uh, with this 4 here
0: Yeah. Now, <clears throat> um, yeah, my, first of all, my mistake, the Cameron piece is the one that discusses that, so there are two pieces now I have to read, and <clears throat> uh, that's... Uh, it's basically don't dismiss Gall- like Garia Gallardo has basically found himself on the fringes of mixed league relevance these days but now it's like just don't dismiss him there's a little you know there's there's a potential that there's something there that changes and maybe yeah,
1: potential pitch mix you know it's a change change of pitching coach and he seems to be one of these guys that could mean something also um, you know uh, that's interesting I thought well, this is moving on to the next one. Uh, <laughs> but no, I just think, I think he's a little still more deeply, it's more like a, a deeply conversation with Gallardo, I think. Uh, yeah. I'm not sure I'd be reaching for him for a bench slot, uh, maybe in a 15-team or something. Well, go uh, ahead.
0: You were saying this is interesting.
1: No, I was saying, yeah, interesting. Uh, the next thing on our list is um, uh, Marcos uh, Diplon. I'm sure I got that one wrong. Um, Sounds good to me. Uh, Marcos Diplon, uh, Corey Kniebel. That one seems easy. And Luis Sardinas traded to Milwaukee. Is that, they were traded from Texas, I'm guessing. Yes. In the Gallardo deal. Um, and Kniebel is showing up as a Tigers, uh, Tigers guy, so he was traded last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, he must have gone over in the Soria deal. Yes. Now I I understand. Uh, You know, Knievel has a lot of velocity. And, uh, you know, I I think, uh, you know, the the curveball and the velocity are are very nice. Um, He's got a weird delivery. I just, the change up, um, we've only got five of them in the system over Brooks, but. Uh, and they do look different from his four-seam, so it could be one of those situations where it doesn't drop as much as most change-ups, but a court, like, put up against his rising four-seamer, it looks a lot different. So has four different... Four, uh, I, yeah, I always struggle with this when we talk about change-ups. Do I talk about absolute movement on the change-up, or do I talk about relative to one of his fastballs? So relative to the fastball, Knievel's change-up has four inches extra drop. That's decent. Relative to the league's changeups, uh, his changeup has less drop than the, than the usual, uh, changeup. So, uh, I think that, that is important to him because, you know, I don't, I'm not sure that the knuckle curve, uh, unless he, you know, puts in a cutter or a slider, I don't think he has the, the Arsenal to be a, a starter. And people talk about his funky delivery. So Corey Knievel is a name to, to, to remember, but it may end up in the bullpen.
0: Yeah, and and um, he that's where he spent his life as a prospect. I think that's it's interesting because the Brewers enter kind of a, a period of unknown where it's not clear who their closer is going to be. Not to say that this guy is necessarily the answer, but it's you know he's a possibility. I think a lot of people could end up being possibilities yeah. for them.
1: Then there was the UCL injury. So yeah, yeah, I think this is more uh, a name that um, if he doesn't have a surgery, maybe it could be a late season closer. Uh, for the uh, for the, the Brewers, I mean they do have sort of an opening there, um, and uh, I, you know right now it's Broxton, I think, uh, and I have Ugh. very <laughs> little faith in Brockton. He's been all right when in, but uh, he, he's going to easily get hurt. Henderson was hurt. Will Smith is a lefty, um, maybe could close, but uh, I think better as a setup guy. And then Thornburg, I guess, is the guy. Thornburg is the guy that uh, Knievel would go up against. Mm-hmm. So name named him away In that case,
0: yeah, I agree. Now uh, another deal: the Chicago-Houston deal. Dexter Fowler for Luis Valbuena Dan Shirley. And this is—you uh, wrote a piece on this at Fangraphs, but uh, um, obviously didn't delve into it much in, as far as the fantasy perspective. I mean. When a move like this happens, there's not really much that changes about these guys' uh, fantasy values per se. Basically, it's an opportunity. If anything, it's an opportunity for Straley. Valbuena will have to contend, I guess, to some degree with. Uh, um, I'm suddenly blanking. Did Matt Do- is Matt Dominguez still in Houston?
1: Yeah, it's Matt Dominguez. But I was. This is something that really surprised me. Um, Matt Dominguez has not put up good defensive numbers. Uh, I was. You know, I stuck him in my head as a good defensive player, and, and
0: yeah, because that was his reputation. That was the Colton card.
1: Yeah, and he hasn't he hasn't done it. He's, he was scratched, and then last year he was bad, and then last year he was almost two wins below replacement. So um, he has not worked out. I mean, he's been below replacement for his career, and we're now fourteen hundred play appearances in. So he's the think, righty. <clears throat> Wayne is the lefty, or Calvin well, is better against righties. Uh, so. I think uh Matt Dominguez is gonna fall out of favor here.
0: Yeah, because this this seems like a potential kind of stuff. I mean they Houston also acquired Colin Moran last year. Not that yeah. we're not necessarily big on him, but
1: they've they're they've organizationally moved on for Matt Dominguez. They haven't necessarily you know said so. physically moved on or said so, like you say, but they I think they the the tea leaves say they've moved on. So I'm not really uh, last year the last couple of years I took Matt Dominguez's Kind of a uh, you know, just play ugly, uh, a L. labor. You know, pay a couple bucks for a guy who's going to play third base all year. Uh, and I've been right in that he's played third base all year, but I would not make that same bet again this year.
0: <laughs> not at all. Not at all. Uh, does Fowler do anything for you as far as? Uh, I mean, again, this is doesn't really seem to affect things. So, um.
1: uh, the Cubs have a decent lineup, and if everything sort of sits right for them. I don't think you'll have too much uh, difference in lineup. Uh, I maybe not contending with Houston's weird outfield will help him stay healthy, but I doubt that he hasn't really been a healthy, guy Fowler. So,
0: right, that's kind of his. That's the number one thing about him is it <laughs> he's going to miss some time for you.
1: I mean, in best case scenario, Fowler is on your bench and you use him against lefties. Hmm. um He's have been much against lefties in his career, and then you can kind of. Uh, use him and then maybe discard him when he gets hurt or whatever so maybe a, a big bench with a, a lot of DL slots in an auto-new situation Fowler is, is actually pretty decent because you can he's, slot him in definitely he... against lefties you have a long ass bench where you can stick him um, and when he's hurt or when he's when he, when he not playing well or playing against righties and he's going to be valuable and then you know he can soak up some some plate appearances at, at better than league average uh, for you in auto-new so I think he's a good auto-new outfielder actually
0: and he's a, he's a significantly better player in OBP leagues. Like he's a money earner in OB, yep. OBP leagues, where he's fringy in with batting average leagues. A lot of
1: new points for sure, yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, but uh, on the other side, Dan Straley is interesting because um, he was the guy that, uh, in my analysis, people uh, mostly gravitated towards yelling about that <laughs> um, because I, you know, I took my pitch type analysis that you guys are all so familiar with, and I took it to Straley and said he can be average or better. And, you know, the reason I said this is, A, he has been average. He's been a two-win pitcher before. And, B, the same stuff you guys have heard, I think I've said it even about Straley on this podcast, which is uh, Straley's change is above average by whiffs and grounders. Uh, his slider is, is actually top ten among starters um, uh, by whiffs. And uh, his his fastball is average. So I I get average, above average, and plus. And, you know, add those two all together, I, I hear average or above average. So, um, you know, of course that changes a little bit. You know, we're likely to give up homers. And there's added added uh, problem that, um, you know, it's sort of a mechanical muscular thing where you have, you know, some issues with the, the shoulder and, uh, and the velocity went down. So, you know, pair those, that sort of down velocity and the home run issues over the last couple of years or the last year. Um, that makes him a deep, you know, more of a deep league sleeper. I don't think I'm going to be, uh, buying a ton of Australian in mixed leagues or whatever, but I, I'm, I'm pretty happy with him as a deep league sleeper, actually. I think, and then there's, there's always, you know, Houston's track record now with McHugh and, and Keichel says if there's a guy who comes in and just needs a little tweak to either his Arsenal or his mechanics, Houston has the capacity to, to do that. And I'm sure yeah. <clears> Houston targeted him for some of the same reasons I'm telling you right now. I mean, they didn't, you know, Valbena is probably close to equal Fowler because he's a lesser player than Fowler, but there's two years of control. So Straley was a sweetener. But if you look at how they got McHugh the and how they got Keichel, they got those guys as sweeteners or waiver deals or whatever. So, uh, yeah. they, they, they wanted straight
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I tend to totally agree. And I think that, um, also from, uh, from Houston's first, um, who is the uh, who's the the prospect that they fixed from two seasons ago the the pitching prospect who was having off you know number one guy awful se- Mark Appel or Apple yeah um awful seasons and all of a sudden he kind of just turned it around because they've they fixed something mechanically in him I mean they seem to have seem to have an idea of what is going on with pitchers
1: yeah there's a lot of opportunity there even though they signed song, the Astros signed Vogel so it suggests they might get another one There's two uh, spots of opportunity for me in the Astros uh, rotation. Keiko McHugh Feldman is uh, the top three. And then Oberholzer is vanilla to me. He's got a good changeup, but that's it. Uh, Peacock is worse than vanilla. I think he's worse than the, you know, I think he might be below replacement. Steamer says he's about replacement. Um, So that's two slots. Even if they sign another one, I think Straley's right there in the mix. Peacock's not even going to be ready for spring, so it would be basically Straley versus Oberholzer for the last spot. Um, you know, maybe he doesn't get it right away, but, uh, a dollar pick for me in labor, I'm gonna say right now, he's probably gonna be one of my dollar picks.
0: Yeah, I think that would be a good one because. One yeah, yeah, which would, which would seem a strange, uh, development. Uh, <clears throat> <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jimmy Nelson in, in Milwaukee's rotation now with the move of Gallardo. Uh, we've talked about him before Compare, I mean, you're the first who brought up I mean, I, I talked about it in the blog, but you you were the first to bring up that I recall the Justin Masterson comparison, and for all intents and purposes, that seems to me kind of who we're looking at, um, but there's a little bit, there's room for, room for him to be better than that.
1: Well, the um, wrinkle here is that when Justin Masterson is good and ownable, yeah, he has good command. Um, whereas, uh, I'm not sure that Jimmy Nelson... Uh, his
0: been, is inconsistent. He he can be. I mean, based on my uh, based on that. watching him, he can be pretty nasty. But yeah, there's also periods of inconsistent command.
1: Yeah, and if it's if it's good, Jimmy Nelson, then maybe he can. Then he can be good, J- Justin Masterson, maybe. But um, I mean, it's it's mostly sinker slider. I mean, the the movement on the change is terrible. It's really yeah. terrible. It's it's a bad pitch. I think he either needs to develop a curveball or just try the Masterson approach. I mean, the nice thing is he does actually throw a four-seam, and it's it's very different from a sinker. Mm-hmm. So you could kind of squint and call him a three-pitch pitcher, but it's all power. I mean, it'd be, this his slowest pitch would be 87, and his fastest pitch would be 95. I mean, it's, it's a small range. Yeah. So everybody would just be gearing up to hit it. And lefties in particular, um, would uh, would would should have a good time with him. So uh I'm I'm out. I'm out <laughs> for the most part. I, I just think I I just expensive. heard the
0: microphone hit the floor.
1: <laughs> just too expensive. Uh just too expensive for me. Nelson's too expensive for me in, in deep leagues. And um, in mixed leagues I'm not sure he has the upside to I mean he has the upside, but I'm not sure there aren't a lot of other better options that I'd rather have on a mixed league team.
0: Mike Pothorzer, he wrote on Colby Rasmus. Rasmus to Houston. Now that's obviously he's basically the Fowler replacement. Um, not the most exciting player. I mean, I think the the most difficult thing about Rasmus is certainly the talent is there. The question is, is you know, kind of does he mentally show up? Because uh, that seems to be his reputation, and by many observa- uh, observations and accounts, uh, that seems like a pretty fair assessment.
1: Uh, I mean, if that is the case, then. You know,
0: if the if the co- he's the kind of player to me where, it's, you know, if the cost is is very low, which it, it, it certainly is in mixed leagues, because he's basically a French commodity almost. And in, uh, in the 15 team mixed leagues, he'll be drafted probably. But uh, might be 12.
1: low in, in, in deep leagues, too, just because, you know, the, the contract was so little. I think, you know, if he is that kind of player and people write about his makeup, then this is a wake up call because the fans projected him for three for 30. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, to get thirty million dollars over three years and he got one year eight million. So uh, you know, if he is the kind of player where makeup is a concern, then this is gonna be we're gonna see peak Rasmus here. I mean we're gonna see him on his best on his best
0: behavior. I think I think Cameron projected three for thirty and fans were two for seven two for fourteen. Yeah, I'm okay. mistaken. Okay. But anyway and anyway, one one or the other. Either way either way, neither of them add up to what Rasmus actually got.
1: Right. Yeah. And either way, I'm sure that he wanted more. I mean, one for eight uh, is not um, is not anybody's idea of a, of a, you know, I hit free agency, <laughs> if,
0: if, if, if Rasmus does not enjoy playing baseball for a living, he probably wants a lot of money to enjoy his time away from baseball, and that <laughs> is not what happened. Or at least some security, and a guaranteed, more guaranteed money in his time away, and that did not happen.
1: Yeah. So. Steamer, Steamer says uh, more health. Uh, that's about it. More health, a few more walks, a little bit more interesting in OBP leagues, but uh, otherwise uh, about the same as last year. Uh, I can't say that I disagree a ton, but you know, it could. You know, these guys aren't aren't automatons. You know, and and you know, this is the definition of a make good contract. So if, if there mm-hmm. is the capacity for him to make good, then this is going to be it. He's also uh, only 28 because uh, he got a pretty early start so um, there's there's still one, one more chance left in that uh, I, I'll give him one more chance mostly in deep leagues but I will give him one more chance
0: yeah I would as well because the talent is there so it's just a question of how you know whether he wants to imply himself as long as the cost is not too great Sure I'll take a shot
1: uh, he had a, he had a 360 OVP one year with uh, with an 11 percent walk rate. Uh, yes, that was 2010, but um, if he just gets his walk rate back up to 9 or 10, which he's done, you know, it, over above average walk rate, he's done in three of his six seasons. Hmm. Six, yeah, three of the six seasons. And in the other years, it was just below average. So, I mean, if you get that back up above average and then get just a little bit of batted ball luck, you could be talking about a 310, 320 on-base percentage, 25 homers, you know, as long as he holds on to the job all year, which I think, you know, I've been a Grossman supporter. Um, I like Grossman better than Marisnyk. Uh, yeah. Marisnyk and, and Robbie Grossman are the guys that were left. And I was I was prepared to talk about Grossman as a sleeper for this year. Uh, but with with, with uh, Colby, one thing about Grossman is he's not the best center fielder of the three. Um, that might be Marisnyk. Uh,
0: That's... I don't think that's a bad thing, as far as Ro- Gross. I mean, to me, Grossman is like the ideal AL sleeper now.
1: I guess, yeah. I mean, I, I like his. So, if we're ranking them in terms he- of bats and glove, right? So, glove, I would go. There's a, this is this might actually come out with Grossman on top. So, if, if, by glove, I go Marisnyk, uh I might go Marisnik Grossman, Colby. Uh, although Rasmus has had some good years, but last year was a bad year. Uh, by bats. I would go uh, Col- uh, Colby, Grossman, Marisnik. So Grossman is the middle of both. Um, that suggests to me that Mariznick is the fourth outfielder because you bring on a guy that you can bring on defensively. Uh, you platoon him. Grossman's a switch hitter.
0: Yeah, see here. so – I mean, just Grossman that's kind of
1: – better suited to be a starter. So if Rasmus bottoms out, I think – Rossman's a starter. Marisnik might platoon with him, or or defensively uh,
0: replace him. I mean, I think there's there's a lot of assumption. This is the kind of thing where a scenario where it's like a guy, you can look at you know Mariznick is not a great player. He he hit well above I think what you would expect him to hit last season. He hit like what 272 or something like that, and there's a lot of strikeouts there. Um, I mean, he's the type of guy I would not expect to repeat that and Rasmus is he's got the one-year deal it's they're pay, they are paying him legit money so he's going to get a pretty long leash to prove them wrong um Grossman is kind of I mean he's like the ideal he shouldn't cost more than a buck or a, or a reserve pick I mean he probably is a reserve pick but he'd be a good reserve pick because I think a couple of months into the season at most he's got a real shot at playing time because Mresnik I think has a very Great likelihood to fail, and yeah, I mean, like that's that's the way I would look at that situation. Like instantly, because of this playing time situation Houston has created, Grossman would be a, an ideal reserve pick for me.
1: Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. Grossman reserve pick, uh, Ale only for sure. Rasmus, decent, uh, decent. Uh, it's not a sleeper because you're asking him to sort of bounce back, but um, I think he's kind of he's kind of in that mode of, of the Dominguez for me. Where there's a good chance that he just holds on to it all year and is meh, you know? Yeah. And uh, those guys have value in the deep leagues.
0: Yeah, for sure. Nori Aoki to San Fran. He's still, I mean, he's an unexciting player. Um, I guess not quite, you know, he's not quite as unexciting as, De- or he's more unexciting than Dexter Fowler. Um, but I guess the only thing that struck me about this deal is in real life, like, he's the same player as Gregor Blanco. To me, I mean, I think Blanco, I think Blanco is actually—I don't want to say—I guess he's not a tad better. He's defensively better, but uh, but I guess you know, San Fran wants the depth. Uh, yeah, it,
1: there's one important reason that they're different because they are both lefties, and so at first sight, you so you go, oh my God, why would they get two of the same player? Ioki, you never really want to project a guy into reverse platoon splits because reverse platoon splits take like thousands of plate appearances to believe in, mm-hmm. but. Aoki has had a reverse platoon split, and he has the style at the plate in order to, in order to have a reverse platoon split, which is to say he's an extreme other way guy. So um, you know, in that case, he's lefties are lefties take lefties try to pitch outside to lefties, and a guy who can go the other way a lot is just going to dink those into left field. Um, and that's basically what Aoki does. Okay. So yeah,
0: he does have a better. I mean, OBP wise, I think they're. I guess they're not. They're not real close, but uh, they're somewhat close.
1: Yeah, no, I think I think they are very similar. If you just if you if if you and if you just basically um, uh, do a little bit of reverse reverse uh, platooning, where you kind of like you play. They're both lefties, but you use Aoki more against lefties because he has that style. And then when Pagana's hurt, you play Aoki. I do think this affects his playing time projections because. Uh, Aoki's Ioki's worst defensively. That means um even if Aoki gets to start against a righty over Blanco, Blanco's gonna come in, in like the sixth seventh inning.
0: Yeah. And there's also the question of whether, I mean, does Ishikawa warrant playing time I mean, he's basically he's still a bench guy, so I guess he's not really in an equation, but and I, I will be impressed if Ayuki hits a home run in at AT and T Park this year. <laughs> he
1: only hit one all last year. It's kind of funny, he hit ten in Milwaukee. I mean it's like yeah. the park factor situation. He went from 10 in Milwaukee to, uh, to one with the Royals. It's yeah.
0: funny. He did make some visits to U.S. Cellular. I mean, I think if you're picking parks that he might have hit the home run at, it would probably be <laughs> that one. But I'm not positive I'd have to look that up. Right. Uh, oh. <laughs> Giovanni Soto to the White Sox. Basically, that just means, you know, Tyler. to me, Tyler Flowers playing time is not uh, – it looks slightly sketchier. Soto is the good White defensively. Sox.
1: Oh because of the defense, yeah, but yeah, his bat's not so good though
0: right, right so, I mean there's his bat and flowers bat are about the same, probably actually at this point, uh and flowers younger soto is not dependable as far as the health goes, so right that that is an interesting dynamic, I guess um
1: I think that might be worth a a, a dissection for um uh, like, yeah uh, uh, I think either one of them is sort of darts there, maybe, actually.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, Evan the now the Evan Gaddis situation. This I think this is interesting news. It's something we can talk about real quick before we get into uh, probably some requests. Although I think there's there's some interesting uh, other fronts we could talk about, but those are kind of long term or playing time uh, concerns. So we can get into those at some point later. Uh, but the Evan Gaddis situation there now that uh, uh, <clears throat> the GM basically came out and said that uh, Gaddis and Carter were kind of they look like they're lined up to be first base and DH, reverse that, however it works out. But John Singleton would probably start the year in the minors. And uh, that's probably not, it was not the original expectation or the reaction. Um, Singleton also has a, a major league contract now, um, but uh, that doesn't preclude him from being in the minor leagues. And overall, if this is what they think is best for the team, uh, that doesn't mean that it's you know necessarily a bad move on Houston's part. Um, uh, yeah, you know, how do you view this situation to me, the first thing I thought was, well, like I mean, it might be a situation where they you know they're eventually going to look to trade Carter, or I guess Gaddis is a possibility as well. they could always flip him, but um Carter is probably a likelier guy to they try to move,
1: yeah, I think it also has something to do with what happens on opening day. I mean, we know we've always talked about the Astros giving everybody 100, hundred hundred and fifty plate appearances before they move on. Mm-hmm. And um, Presley, I think, is due a million dollars or something uh, if they cut him. Uh, so that I think I think what they do is this allows them to keep Alex Presley on the opening day roster. Uh, probably lets them, I think there's an option remaining for Marisnyk, so it lets them option Marisnyk, keep Grossman and, Grossman and Presley as the backup outfielders um, and basically give Presley, you know, uh, the first month of the season uh, to figure things out while Singleton uh, is figuring things out, right? Yeah. And then, um, and then they'll know they'll know a month more about all the different players, and they'll know if Presley worth keeping around. He's not exactly exciting in terms of upside. Uh, you know, he's 29 at this point, um, so I think they, you know, most likely there's a month in there. They drop Presley. They bring up either Mariznick or Singleton first. And then if Grossman is still uh, pooping the bed uh, and Rasmus is doing good, then they figure that out, and then they bring up the next guy, Santana um, or Singleton. So, you know, this is what this is why all of the Astros, all the younger Astros, other than George Springer, um, are risks because they're going to shuttle through all these guys. You know, yeah. I guess I guess actually uh, this opens up left field for Mariznick or Grossman. Is what they're saying. yeah, Aha. Uh-huh. So, uh, so this, <laughs> this this lets them keep Marisman, Grossman, and Presley. All three of them. And left field is going to be a cluster out where they're going to throw all three of those guys at left field. And they're going to give him a month and a half. Maybe they maybe they give one guy a month and a half and then he's gone. So And uh, Presley
0: seems like the likeliest of those to be that guy. Yeah, for sure. Um... If they even give it to him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, he might not last until opening day. Yeah, maybe
1: they give Presley. Because I mean, it's not the
0: first time. time. they. I think they waived him last spring training as well. Yeah. Our some... starts
1: have Marisnik as the starter with uh, Grossman backing up in a lot of different places.
0: Although, actually, no, that might have been Minnesota, and that's how Houston got him. Anyway, they they can probably view him as an expendable player at this point.
1: Yes. <clears throat> well, it might be about giving Marisnyk and Grossman a shot at, at playing time. So, a month into the season, something's going to happen. Colby, they're either going to give up on Colby because he just he's even worse than he was last year, or he's hurt, um, or they're going to give up on Marisnyk because he doesn't have the bat for left field. Um, and they'll either install Grossman as the starting left fielder. So, I, we have Marisnyk as the starter, and I think that might be possible, where they start with Marisnyk, see what Marisnyk does in left field with the bat. And, if, and I think it's most likely he's not going to be any good uh, with the bat. And yeah, that's
0: my that's my thinking.
1: They're going to slide Marisnik into backup center field duty behind Colby, and then either Grossman graduates Grossman graduates to starting left field um, if Singleton's still striking out too much, or they bring Singleton up and Grossman backs up Gattis in left field.
0: Yeah, the, you'll notice the way the GM put it. As far as Mariznick goes, I mean, it was the way he hit last year. He's earned the right to see if he can keep that kind of job next year. Yeah. So.
1: so. Yeah, that kind of says situation. Virznik starts as the starting left fielder. He bottoms out. He, he he doesn't do any good. He's out after a month, and then either Gaddis starts there or Grossman starts there, depending on what Singleton's doing in the minors.
0: I think the way they align defensively in the outfield suggests that they don't really want to put Gaddis in left field if they can avoid that situation. And they don't really. They and and again, you talk about the bodies that they have. They look like they have the bodies to avoid putting themselves in that position. Yeah, I think so. Fan on too. Yeah, so uh, assuming that he doesn't strike out once every one of plate appearances. <clears throat> uh, yeah, and after so, months
1: <laughs> a trade is always possible because these guys are willing to trade.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, any other news has come across the desk, uh, is, is kind of of an injury related nature. And these things are just kind of updates on health. So we're not going to get too much into that. And also there's a little Javier Baez news, but there's always Javier Baez news because he's always striking out at one time 24% or another. 4% <laughs>
1: their <laughs> ball. Yeah.
0: yeah. So we, went, we went, that's a, that's, I think that's a, that's a player we can sort of get into at another time. I think. And the only, the only thing I want to say about this, and because I, I like, I like these little kinds of stories is Jesus Montero is down to 200. He's already met the, the playing weight goal that the manner set out for him that they said that they expect him to be at by the time he hit camp. Uh, so basically he has lost 40 pounds compared to what he was playing at last year. And the only reason I think that that's worth bringing up is because uh, in the news note I saw on it um, said, basically, you know, that's nice to hear about regardless, you know, he's not anywhere on the fantasy radar. That may be true except in the deepest at least because, you know, guys with ta- <laughs> talent, you know, it's like I would take a, you know, like a last reserve pick flyer on a Montero because the guy's got talent and it's kind of like was last year a wake-up call for him? Sure. If it I mean, wasn't, he could – yeah, there. yeah, yeah. If there, if it wasn't, then he's running out of chances on my third chance list. But I'm yeah. just saying that, <laughs> you know, that's like he's an interesting player. Like you're talking about – and
1: see and see uh, the situation where he, he's back in the majors. I mean, Logan Morrison, uh, bat, two bad knees – uh Nelson Cruz is the D H and Seth Smith and Justin Virgiano are the left fielder. So there's there's actually multiple ways that just that Jesus Montero can be uh relevant <clears throat> uh, this year.
0: If if Montero is slugging five hundred plus in the minor leagues, or you know, probably better than that, it would really take to open their eyes. But I mean, that's far from uh out outside the realm possibility.
1: And Morrison's knee starts to hurt.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I mean it's just like basically I've already figured out two of my guys who would be targets in reserve picks for labor in Grossman in Montero. I have, I have two six in my bench already made up <laughs> the end of it, but still, Hey, I've done pretty well with my reserve picks. I want to say, so hey, don't, don't poo poo.
1: You're going to be an advisor on uh <laughs> <laughs> Hey,
0: I'd be happy to do it. My friend, <clears throat> uh, I'm excited to get to some of these, uh, requested questions. Um, just let's just, let's just jump into them because uh, one of them is who would you keep? This is this is this is a difficult choice. Who would you keep of the three players? Julio Tehran in the thirteenth round. Uh, he's a keeper from two thousand thirteen. Uh, Matt Harvey in the fifteenth round, or Garrett Richards, who was a free agent pickup in the fifteenth round. Uh, his other keeper is obviously Corey Kluber in the twenty first round. Obviously, that's a no brainer. So he needs another keeper. Three really good possibilities. I mean, I think. Harvey is a, is, you know, Harvey in the fifteenth or Richards in the fifteenth. Uh, that's the guy. I guess uh, basically, it's a question to me if Harvey in the fifteenth or Tehran in the thirteenth, uh, and then it becomes an issue of injury risk. So, you know, what, what's your feeling on that question?
1: Yeah, I mean, because it, it, you let put them in different buckets. You have the Tehran bucket and you have the, the injury bucket, and, right? And Harvey is the crab that 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 climbs out of the injury bucket, uh, right. because. He's but he's got more upside than Richards, or at least more stuff. So uh, also uh, Harvey, for all intents and purposes, is going to start the season in major leagues, where Richards is mm-hmm. not. So that's that's done for me. So it's Harvey versus Tehran. You know the. I guess one thing
0: the the safe way to go is Tehran. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not that exciting. Like I would I would I my reaction is I would pick Harvey because I'd say F it, let's go for it.
1: And also. Here's another uh, thing to consider: is we don't know necessarily what's going to happen after this year. So, if if these are one year keepers, then I might say tarot because yeah, you're just more likely to get two hundred innings out of them. You're going to get more value. out of them.
0: But and they've been really good endings recently, so well, it's it's these, it's hard to poo poo him.
1: <laughs> these carry over somehow, you know, and you get to keep them, and you get to keep Matt Harvey in the thirteenth round in next year, fifteenth. I know, but I'm saying. maybe Oh yeah,
0: I, 14th, 13th, yeah, whatever it is next year.
1: If there's some sort of carryover, and or, or you or you get to keep Harvey in the 15th round next year, then I'm then I'm all over Harvey. Yeah, because you yeah, there's also this there's this year and next year, and if you you put these two years together, I want Harvey in the 15th over Tehran in the 13th.
0: Yeah, and I think that that's based on the fact that he's keeping Tehran in the 13th round as a keeper from 2013. That. That yeah. suggests to me that that's the way it could go. So that's why I'm kind of leaning Harvey. But Tehran Ter- is not a, you know, I mean, he's, I made it sound like you know, perhaps that Tehran is a guy just to cast aside, and that's certainly not the case because that's a pretty good pitcher. It's a
1: good <laughs> d- good decision to ask about. Well, I think also uh, Tehran might uh, lend himself to being traded. So Yeah,
0: that's true. And, that I mean, that creates a pocket trade. of uncertainty.
1: Yeah, I, I would, uh, no, 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 I mean, no, no, I mean in terms of his league. I think, uh, you know, I, Oh, on, yes, yes. You know, I'm not sure which of those has better trade value, but uh, I would trade Tamron on the 13th and, and see if he can improve a hitter or something.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I would ask. <laughs> uh, if you don't know which one has better trade value, it doesn't hurt to say, hey, does anybody have interest in this guy or this guy?
1: Yeah.
0: <clears throat> um, which to keep in a head-to-head league, uh, along with Andrew McCutcheon, Paul Goldschmidt. So basically this guy has the first round under control. Uh, in his league, uh, Yasio Puig and Anthony Rendon. Uh, Who joins him? Evan Longoria Nolan Arenado. This is another question from the comments on the last podcast. When I first saw this, I thought, ah, and then I, I mean, this is not really an easy question. And it's also really not an easy question because we don't know, is this like a forever keeper or is this like just this year, et cetera, et cetera. But, um, you know, I guess uh, long-term, you know, you can make the case for Arnato because Longoria is approaching the point where he's old. <laughs> he's 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 almost getting there, and he has continued to kind of disappoint uh, a me, number of facets. Check the. Uh, I think if you're in a one, if it's a one-year thing or like one or two-year thing, you can make an easy case for Longoria. Well, um, check
1: this out. By Steamer rankings, uh, unmanipulated, I have not manipulated them yet. Arnato is ahead of Longoria.
0: Yeah, let me see how he comes out in, in my That's evaluations. That's Longoria
1: at two fifty six with twenty five homers and North Arenado at two eighty two with twenty homers. I'd say both of those could clear those numbers. I mean Longoria's had better batting averages than that. And Nolan Arenado has got real nice home for the big crazy bababs. Um and they're only separated by a dollar, so it's obviously a good question. But uh yeah. given with their ages, I think Arenado
0: yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, and the fact that, I mean, I guess what are you somewhat less he's inside, but, eh, Longoria's just a disappointing guy. You may, I think you make the case the shorter the term for Longoria, but otherwise, it's, I mean, even then, like... What are you you, know, so the,
1: did you Did you call them up?
0: Oh, yeah, 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 no, uh, and I have uh, Longoria about, based on the senior projections, I, mine is about $2.00. Uh, less than Arnado. I guess the only question for me is, you know, is Arnado going to consistently hit for that type of power? But I don't really care because he's probably going to be healthy and he's definitely going to hit for average. So <laughs> there's not really uh, – I mean, he hit eight, the 18 home. Yeah, I guess that's, you know, the 18 home runs. Yeah, that's Arnado. I guess it's even more of a no-brainer than I realized. And I, the uh,
1: intangibles with him are pretty off the chart. I mean, this is a guy that wasn't supposed to be a good third baseman at all and was maybe not going to even play third base that – you know, dedicated himself and just, you know, became a gold glove third baseman. That's, that's not barely making it a third base. That's, oh, wow. We were totally watching this
0: guy. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Um, and only 10 team keep up to five, $260 budget. Now this is a long question. So, uh, we probably won't spend Try to, you know, we'll try to kind of dash through it. This will be a down and dirty evaluation, I think, but, uh, and price goes up, uh, it's a $260 budget, price goes up on each player by $5 per year. Yeah, <laughs> that is a lot. That says that you're not keeping too many guys from year to year. Yeah. Uh, prices below are the 2015 values for which I could keep the player. Uh, Jorge Soler is at $6. I mean, all these obviously were $1 players for him. Well, that was a $1 player for him last year. But six, Soler at 6 bucks. Carlos Gomez at 17 uh, Tullo at 14 and you, you can kind of go down the list but basically did, if, if you've looked at the list already uh, Daniel Murphy and Kristen Yellick are out for me even though I mean I like but, well Daniel Murphy's definitely out for well, me well you like Kristen uh,
1: Yellick but at 19 yeah. so you're, you're paying for his upside and not paying for right the middle projection so I don't like that Daniel Murphy at 19 bucks you know also seems pretty expensive considering I'm not sure he's going to keep stealing bases and you know I, I'm not sure yeah <laughs> I don't know about that one Carlos Gomez at 17, sure. Uh, I don't like Arizmendi Alcantara at 8 bucks.
0: No, no, he's out. Yeah. He's out for me. He's not going to play. I, mean, I want out, him. So.
1: I want him, but I don't want him.
0: I want him in a buck.
1: Yeah. Two, <laughs> I mean, in an NL only, maybe three, four, maybe, but maybe half that price. You know, Wilmer Flores at 6 bucks, NL only. I mean, it's a too low backup. Still seems expensive.
0: Actually, yeah, you know, I was dismissive. I mean, I was dismissive of Yell I mean, I guess he and, yeah, he and Yellick and Murphy are not good. They're not good deals, I guess is basically it. But, the, you know, they might go for about. Remember, number
1: if you still like them, you know. I just don't think that they're yeah. valued necessarily.
0: Right, right. That's that's the concern. Uh, My
1: at 14 is good. I mean, I, I yeah. know he's a keeper and he's probably close to market price. But, you know, you get into an auction and people go nuts about, about clothes. And I only so, there's only so 10 of them or something that people really want to pay money for maybe even seven or eight
0: so by the same token and is pro- is kind of an easy yeah that's an easy but a guy thing. like
1: giles for seven bucks so melanson between melanson and and you're spending 20 bucks and you got two closers you're done you're out you don't even have to spend money on closers in the auction
0: yeah so throw giles back yeah you
1: throw giles back at seven bucks because he's not even a closer
0: right you've just saved yeah yeah You you save some money there Wood would probably go for, at most, 14 in your draft anyway.
1: Yeah, yeah, as much as I like Wood, that's...
0: And I do like him, yeah. hang yeah.
1: upside price.
0: I, I, yeah, I mean, I guess, and you could, I mean, I don't know. Hamels, you you might be able to make that same kind of case. Like, he's, uh, well, definitely you could make that same kind of case. He's not. Hamels,
1: 20 bucks. So, so Wood, 14 bucks. Hamels, 20 bucks. and only. Uh I don't know. I'm not, nothing is telling me I need to keep him, but... uh right. You know, keeping wood for the same price as a closer might be okay.
0: Yeah, I think yeah, I think if if I had to pick between the two, I get I would lean wood. Um, Six bucks extra, six bucks buys you a lot. So okay, so so far, like the only thing here that this is what made it interesting to me. Tulo is fourteen bucks. Like uh, first of all, I don't know how you got that if you're adding five bucks, but uh, right. I mean. that's a keeper. I don't even like Tulo. I never draft him. I never end up with him, but that's a keeper. Yeah. Right? So...
1: That makes Melanson at 14. I'm like, well, maybe not, but you can't, right. you can't do that, though, because just because you have one guy at great value doesn't mean that you start looking janky at everybody else. I mean, Tulo at 14 is amazing. It doesn't mean that you don't keep Carlos Gomez at 17. And It doesn't mean right. you don't necessarily keep Wood or Melanson at 14. It just means wood and Melanson are closer to their market value than Tulo
0: is right, so for me, I think the keepers are Soler Gomez, Tulo, six, seventeen, and 14.
1: yeah, yeah. oh, I forgot and I then five so yeah Soler Gomez
0: and then and then melancin and Storin, and you kind of come in with two closers, and you need to fill the entire starting pitching staff. It just doesn't bother me because those are the most fun ones to pick. Right. <laughs>
1: otherwise the, the other option is 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 wood. Yeah. Keep like wooden in store, and then you have at least one pitcher. And you go. Pay. I think it uh, was instructive for for TM to do. Uh, what we can't do is look at what other closers are gone for in the past. Yes. And if they've gone, if, if if like an established closer is gone for fourteen bucks, and there's no real reason to keep Melanson because you can go get him again for fourteen bucks later.
0: This is true. <clears throat> All right, now a question. Uh, we've talked a little bit about the Astros. Someone actually wants us to talk about them more. Uh, hey, guys, do you know who will be their catcher? Uh, could Conger be a deep mixed league relevant guy? Uh, I mean, as long as Jason Castro is there.
1: Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, it, I, I've been a. I took Conger last year because I thought maybe they trade Ionetta or you know, Ionetta or whatever. But I don't. You know, now he's a year older. He's twenty six. There's still some pre-peak action there. But he's been better against lefties, even though he's a, he's a, a switch hitter. So that I think that just makes him easy to use. Where you know they use Castro most of the time. They use Conger versus lefters, lefties.
0: Yeah, Conger is like a. He's going to be the cool waiver wire pickup if if Castro if and when Castro is hurt. Yeah. But he's not a guy like you're drafting or anything like that. Yeah, I don't,
1: think so. I don't even think I want to necessarily do the labor, which is an AL two catcher only. So.
0: Right. That's. That's still kind of borderline. The next thing is,
1: is is really interesting. Uh, you know, you're talking about uh, what what our projections' Achilles' heel.
0: Yeah,
1: and um, I think mostly a real substantive change. Uh, yeah. in in approach is the Achilles' heel. So when you look at, say, even Jason Castro, um, you know, he changed his 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 batted ball mix. So uh, you see a big change in fly balls and ground balls then you know someone who's decided to hit more fly balls you can just as sort of a rule of thumb say maybe the uh... batting average will go down and the power will go up that's a that's something that not necessarily won't necessarily show up in the projections um... they'll look at the results but they won't necessarily look at the ground ball fly ball mix for anything other than bad I know that they do look at ground ball fly ball mix but they don't necessarily use it to predict power um, and then on the pitching side, it's really easy. Uh, projections are worse at pitching, and it's because pitchers have these things called pitches that they can change and they can add and they can subtract. Um, and they haven't yet quite figured out how to use that in the predictive quality. So yes, prediction uh, projection systems use velocity. and so they therefore do like kind of stay uh, like do talk a little bit about the shape of pitches and the way pitches are moving because they're, they're talking about velocity. But they don't talk about a guy who, like Keichel is a perfect example. They don't talk about, oh, Keiko ditched his curve uh, for a slider. Uh, they don't know that, right? They just know that Keichel had a couple good starts at the end of 2013. Yeah, and <clears throat> if you saw that in those starts, he did this, he ditched this, and he did this, then then you can like Keiko better than projection systems and, and move on.
0: Yeah, for sure. Now, um, and but basically, uh, he's to answer his kind of follow up questions. uh, Do they add part? I mean, basically, they account for they account for changes in kind of the you know the run environment. So changes in the type of things you're asking about the park, Uh, not the lineup, presumably. Um, although you might correct me on that. Uh, but more so the league, I guess, than the division. They don't project like. Based on opponent or anything like that. Uh, But these things are a lot taken into account with, like, say, Michael Saunders' projection, Evan Gaddis' projection. That stuff's kind of factored in, yes. Uh, Beyond that, I mean, so you're going to see, but you're not going to see, like, drastic effects. Like, if you haven't noticed them, and that's the reason you're asking the question, like, if you're like, oh, well, that a projection doesn't look different from what I saw last, like, it's not going to have some massive effect because it's just. The overall effects on those things um, are really should really can't be that dramatic.
1: Yeah, yeah I mean, uh, I, but he
0: he wants to know like which players you know also which players do you you know like I bet basically based on the projections who do we see as sleepers I guess. what we do beating that. projections. You just gotta listen, and, right?
1: But that that's what we're doing is we're talking about the players individually while the projections. I guess in general, if you want a general answer. We're talking about the players individually while the projections talk about players as buckets and as types of players and, and groups of players, you know? So the projection is not gonna differentiate between this one player and the group of players he's within. They're just gonna say, All players who have moved from the NL to the AL have done this. This guy's moving from the NL to the AL. So therefore we'll bake this into his projection. Whereas we can say, Well, this player is, you know, uniquely suited to this new ballpark, right? This player, you know, Justin Upton, for me, uh, might be hit hit a little bit, dinged a little bit too hard for his power projection based on moving to Petco. Because when I look at uh, Justin Upton's spray charts for homers, they're moonshots. Yeah. You know, they're moonshots. So I, I think he can hit 25, 26, 27, 28. I don't think he needs to go down to 23 just because he's moving to Petco.
0: Yeah, so, I would agree with that. that I do think he has dinged too much for the power.
1: Yeah, that's the kind of conversation you can have. Um about a single player, uh, because they're they are unique and they are going to perform a little bit differently than the population as a whole. But it's still good to use the projections to tell you what the you know what the populations do.
0: Yes, yeah, that's a that's a good way to sum it up. Um, and uh, I was asked on Twitter is Drew Smiley, or actually you did this is a question that was posted both of it, both of us I think is Drew Smiley a sleeper and we this is a guy we talked about before. Uh, you really liked what he started doing after he moved to Tampa Bay, I believe, last season. And obviously, not just, I mean, the results were coming as well, but uh, I think it was something that you noticed in his pitch-type peripherals. This is just based on memory from a long-ago podcast. Uh, But this Twitter asker says, nice cutter, slider combo. And obviously now he has Rene Rivera behind the plate, uh, helping the, the pitches look a little better. Um, I mean, to me, like uh, Smiley was kind of a sleeper last year, um, and the way he finished this past season, it's hard not to view him as a as a sleeper if if his value is still kind quote unquote value is still kind of depressed. I haven't I you know I didn't even recall where he went in in the mock draft uh, the rotographers did, but uh, I mean he's he looks like a really interesting commodity to me. Pretty pretty safe. Bet as far as like guys for under ten dollars in mixed leagues.
1: Um well yeah, I think here's another one uh where the projections are interesting. I, I took Smiley, uh actually, so yes, I like him. Uh I took twelfth <laughs> round, uh hundred and fortieth pick. I took him as uh a guy that slotted on my team behind Cueto and Wood and Doolittle. So I took him as my SP three. Uh, but it, it's not necessarily just my sp 3 because I took a group, and this is what we were talking about earlier in terms of tiers. I took Cueto and then I took a long time off and avoided all the Shields, Iwakuma, uh, Wainwright, injury risks that I saw. And then I jumped right back in on the $7 guys and got Alex Wood, Drew Smiley, Michael Waka, um, and Jesse Hahn, which I all saw as sort of 4 to $5 guys that could jump up to $15 guys. Um, so that's... And then... And talk about the projections Drew Smiley is projected through our, through our leaderboard, uh, through our depth charts to only have 140, 150 innings next year. Um, I don't see why that's going to be the case. So, um, I think he'll have more, uh, innings next year than are projected. And that, um, that could be a good, a good, uh, a good thing for him. Um, he did throw the change a little bit more, um, uh, when he, after going to Tampa Bay, uh, so that's that's a good sign. There's a, the offside chance that he um, learns the uh, the things,
0: the, the split change the thing. Split
1: change. That's that's still a possibility. But as I wrote uh, about um, uh, the guys that don't necessarily, you don't necessarily need a changeup because if you have a curveball um, and a and a slider, or cutter, then you have everything you need. Uh, his curveball is not the roundhouse curveball that has uh, reverse platoon splits, so it's not the ideal situation. It would be better for him to have a changeup. Um, but between his curve and his cutter, he does have pitches that move differently. The curve drops five inches more than his cutter. So he has a horizontal sort of frisbee pitch. He has a depth pitch, and, uh, and he has that four-seam that rises. Uh, big time and makes everything else look like it drops a lot more. So, you know, I, I like him. I like him. He has good command. I think he's going to throw more innings than productions say. So I think he's a, I think he's a decent, you know, number three guy that could perform as a number two.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll just say I like him as well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then, uh, there's a question I was asked, uh, um, and I'll probably have to get back to him on Twitter as well, but figure, uh, it's an interesting one, um, Corey Dickerson. Do you like Corey Dickerson over George Springer, and or Starling Marte? Uh, this person seems to think he has a nice balance of five category production and upside. And I mean, it's fair. He does, I guess. And and this is a question where you could kind of be all over the map. There's a lot of risk in Springer in term because of the strikeouts, the batting average floor. Uh, Dickerson is a safe bet at least against right handed pitching, and especially at Colorado. Although he, I think he hit. Pretty fairly well on the road as well. I mean, he's not like a necessarily a pure course field um, a little, product. A little
1: bit of platoon risk, you know? I mean?
0: Yeah, there is the little, there, there is the platoon risk. I think that's really that's what does it for me. Is like, I, and I guess like, feel like I saw pretty close to Dickerson ceiling already, and okay. like Marte coming off a bad year, quote unquote, is still ended up being like a top seventy five fantasy player.
1: Well, Marte and Springer. Uh, w- with unadulterated uh, with unadulterated steamer numbers uh, it goes Marte 16 bucks uh, Springer 15 bucks uh, Dickerson 15 bucks um, and
0: so they're all pretty close they are
1: pretty close so it was a good question the uh, but the unadulterated numbers um, steamer numbers for um, let me see here for Dickerson include um, only uh, 523 plate appearances. Um, so that's assuming he's going to be platoon. Um, I guess if Carlos Gonzalez is healthy and Blackman is there, um, then you uh, you have a situation where Stubbs plays most of the times against the lefties, I think, um, and Blackman plays against righties in center. And then you wonder. Uh, what happens if they don't just give Dickerson the right field job? Um, there is DH, which is going to be rotating. Uh, I, I see a situation where Dickerson can play 80, 90% of the time. So I, I manipulated his playing time projection and his runs in RBI a little bit, and uh, Dickerson did actually move past Marte. But it is smart to remember that the projection systems have baked in a platoon risk and have deemed him lesser than Marte. So it, it's a great question. I think I would take Dickerson slightly over Marte. Marte um, has injury risk baked in himself. He only has 594 plate appearances and 29 stolen bases by um, by Steamer, and only a 274 average because Steamer doesn't love um, his inflated BABIPs every year so. Um, there's some reasons to like Marte more than his team too, but,
0: um, yeah, I, I personally like Marte a little more. I think he's a safer commodity, I guess, but I think it's, it's somewhat, I guess somewhat splitting hairs. I'm, I'm, I guess I'm a little, and I liked Dickerson a lot last year, I guess. Uh, well, I liked him. I shouldn't say I liked him a lot, but, um, uh, I guess I'm always a little wary of these guys who were kind of perform better than expected well, if I don't...
1: Marte's never uh, had 600 plate appearances. He already dropped off of 41 stone bases down to 30 stone bases, so it's hard to give him a lot more back. Um, and his Babbitt for his career is 363, but he's done that over 1,300 plate appearances, 26 years old.
0: Yeah.
1: I just like that Dickerson is a little bit more power first. Uh, I'd hate to see Marte steal 20, 25 bases this year, and then Maybe some Babbitt slops off, and then he's a 270 hitter with, you know, 25 stolen bases, and he looks a lot sexier, less sexy.
0: I'd say, um, I, and I, I would be looking for a way to inject Springer into the argument, except that I think it's like, uh, Springer's somewhat his, like, he might hit for a better average, but, uh, Steamer's also giving him 15 stolen bases, uh, or thereabouts, and, uh, he has yet to really run at the major league level that may change this season, but um i would be wary of that total, i guess like i, I the only th- like i i really like Springer as a player, but I'm concerned that he's a little i think he's a little potentially overvalued uh as far as his draft price goes this year yeah, but yeah. I do like him quite a bit. i mean I think he could hit thirty plus home runs and there's, uh,
1: there's a question of how much helium the fantasy uh community puts into these guys. Yeah. Uh, they're going to get behind one of these guys for sure. I mean, depending on who you listen to, somebody's going to be picking these guys as, as you know, guys that can move up. Especially since the way we're talking about these guys, you can manipulate their projections pretty well. I mean, Dickerson's only projected for 520 play appearances. If you put, if you push him up to 600 and 650, uh, he becomes a $20 player. Um, you know, if you do the same for Marte or you manipulate a stone base total, he becomes a $20 player. Uh, George Springer is projected for 2.35 average. If you manipulate that up to 2.40, 2.50, he becomes you know an 18, 19, 20 dollar player. So all these these three guys have the opportunity to move from 15 to 20, um, and you're going to like one better than the other. I'm going to like Springer last just because of the stolen base, uh, the stolen bases and the strikeouts. I just I, I find those risky. He didn't really steal any bases and he struck out a lot. Um, yeah. So he's he's a definite third for me. Uh, Marty versus Dickerson though. I think it's super close. I might take Dickerson. I love course. I love course. Uh, they don't have a DH really. Uh, there's a lot of playing time to go around.
0: And I think Stubbs has a lot of collapse in them. Yeah. Yeah. That's also, that seems like a pretty fair comparison or a pretty fair statement. Uh, and then last, I want to do just real quickly. This is a question we touched on in a. In a now uh, or in a deceased podcast, um, but we do have some leftovers. I want to get to for those of you who've been sticking with us. Um, So we're going to get to the (laughs) uh, who do you prefer between Mike Fires and Jesse Hahn and uh, general thoughts and uh, projections on the both both of those pitchers. And I think basically uh, boils down to. I mean, I'm I'm super wary. Mike Fires did kind of the thing where what is it? He he kind of committed to heavy. Heavy kind of, uh, I think splitter usage. Now I'm gonna to have to go back and, and, and check this out. But basically, fires to me. I think there's a, there's a lot of potential blowback this season. Um, and, what, and Han is kind of the pure
1: he throws. The biggest deal though is that he just throws uh, 88 with the fastball and he throws it high in the zone. He's got a he's got a rise ball that he's got a rise ball. He the vertical movement on the.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's it. He's a, he's just he's fastball a little bit of cutter, and Great. yeah, it's fastball up and that. I guess the approach. I mean, other pitchers make that work. It just makes me a little nervous. I guess.
1: Yeah, I mean, in terms of pitch type results, the curve is average, uh, the change is above average, and the four seam is above average by whiff. So he's got three above average, average to above average uh, pitches by whiff, and his cutter is is average to above average too. So he's actually got four pitches for whiffs. The, the four seam is a rise ball. You know, everything but velocity lines up pretty well. But velocity does actually have a lot to do with how many home runs you give up. Um, and he's preciously close to around 87 home runs allowed uh, on contact on, uh, on on fastballs below 87 goes up. So, you know, if you average 88, that means you're throwing some fastball at 86.
0: Yeah, here's what I will say this about it. Uh, basically, this is what concerns me is um, in his... Glorious run of 71 and two-thirds innings last year. Um, He held opponents to a 224 average on balls in play. (laughs) And while I do think he has the skills and the approach to hold opponents below league average on balls in play because he tries to get pop-ups and he induces a lot of fly balls, the home run risk will still be there. And uh, even... With all those things kind of in his favor between the strikeouts and the pop ups, two twenty four is still pretty friggin' ridiculous. Yeah. Like
1: yeah, yeah, but you know Steamer breaks that in and Steamer gives him a three seven one point two. Uh three seventy RA one point two to fires, and Steamer uh, gives Han a four three three one three eight. Uh but I think that's just being unfair. Uh
0: yes, I agree. I don't I l- like get it. Fires at 3.7. I mean, I'll give him 350 ERA, but that's still not – not. it's not incredibly better than Fantasy League average, and I think that's about where he's going to be. Right. I think it, I think at the end, Fires is kind of a fringy, mixed league guy. Maybe he's a little better than that. That's fine. But, like, I still – I would take a shot on the upside with Han because there's a lot of okay. talent there, and health has really been the only real issue.
1: great risk with Han. Obviously, he hasn't really been healthy. Um, and it, the, the arsenals, I mean, it goes against some of my arsenal work, I guess, in that, you know, he doesn't, uh, he doesn't have a, as, as balanced an arsenal. Um, he basically has the sinker and the curve, which are above average. But if you look through all of these pitches that these two pitchers throw, there's one elite pitch. It's Hans curve. So, I mean, it becomes a question of, 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 what you want. You want more out of your pitcher Do you want an elite pitch or do you want a mix? And in this case, I'm not sure I, it's the same for me all the time. I really, I'd love two elite pitches. You know, um, <laughs> what, what I what I see is I really like Hans' sinker. I really like his curveball, and I think his either his change or his slider is going to take the four and 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 be his third pitch. And both his change and his slider um, have reasons to like them. I mean, his change actually has good movement. Uh, has more drop than regular change ups. Um, mm-hmm. And goes seven miles an hour slower than the sinker. So uh I think the change could be that. His slider is really slow. Eighty miles an hour is a slow slider. Um, but at eighty miles an hour his slider is still uh, six, seven miles an hour faster than the curve. So if it looks a little bit like the curve and then doesn't drop as much and is six miles an hour faster, it could be the slider that does it. In any case he has these two other pitches, he just has to decide which of them he's gonna throw a little bit more this year.
0: And Yeah, it hasn't really thrown I mean he hasn't really thrown the slider, the I mean that's I guess there's a question, you know, is that even a, a legit option for him? He Does he feel he that kind way? kind of
1: suggested to me that it was he stopped throwing it when he got Tommy John. Um, so, you know, maybe the slider isn't going to come back. But I think I like the movement on his change. I really like his home park. And that 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 comes in there for me, too, because, you know, we've seen what happens when Fires loses his command and throws 87-88 in Milwaukee. Yeah. Um, whereas... You know, Han's going to be in Oakland, and maybe I'm just talking yeah. myself into this one because I've interviewed. Han. <laughs> uh, I, I I like Han there.
0: Yeah, I like Han because I mean, like you said, I mean, he has two potentially good pitches to neutralize the opposite-handed bats, and then he's, I mean, he's, yeah, and just in general, like you said, I mean, two, uh, one elite potential pitch, so. I mean, I just, I, I see there's, I see more upside with Han. I don't think, I mean, I, I think there's a possibility that he kind of regains a t- touch of velocity too. That might go against everything Jeff Zimmerman stands for, but, um, I don't think we quite see, I mean, I don't think we've seen him yet at a hundred percent, but I also, that's obviously by, by that token, <laughs> he might, we might not see him at a hundred percent for long if we do. So, um, there's, there's a lot of risk. I guess what the way I view it is, um, if I'm picking, I want the upside of Han because uh, I don't feel like I'm going to lose a lot if I don't keep fires because I, you know, I, I don't think what he did last year is what he's going to do yeah, eight, for much eight of this season.
1: Things. So if it is a keeper situation, you're talking about what might happen after that, and Han's future is a little bit brighter for sure. Yeah.
0: And there's always there, there are always more fish in the sea as far as the pitchers go. Yeah. So. We'll find another <laughs> <Yeah>. one. <laughs> yes. Yes. I think that is going to do it for this edition of The Sleeper and the Bust. Uh, it is episode number 186. I'm your host, Nicholas Minix, and thank you very much to Eno once again for providing us with some fantastic analysis.
1: Yeah, thanks for thanks for listening, and hopefully you pressed record today. <laughs> ah, crap. i oh, sorry. <laughs> uh,
0: well, sorry, folks. I am now talking to you and not actually talking to
1: you.
0: <laughs> just kidding, Eno, you know, just kidding. I think so far we're good. I'm really gonna feel like crap if uh, I get into the into my system here and find out that there's no file. But (laughs) I think for now we are good to go. Signing off. Yes. Thank you very much once again. Uh, This is the sleeper at the most.